church tonight and what an exciting day we had this morning amen, amen. we had uh, three baptized at the end of the service a, uh, a married couple uh, mark and michelle lebrock and then uh, spencer simpson uh, all three have been new to our church over the last few months and great to see god doing a great work in our church families being added uh, one at a time and so praise the lord for that excited uh, about tonight excited about being here with all of you and uh, looking forward to enjoying um, church together. I got to say, my least favorite time of the week is Sunday at about seven fifteen because that means it's all over. And we got to go home and then work the next day, right? Uh, but um, savor this just like you savor a good meal. Just enjoy each other's fellowship and the preaching of God's word, the raising our voices and singing together. Amen. All right, let's greet one another, Lord. We'll come back, sing that chorus in just a moment. that chorus as we find our seats. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power 
in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, one person we failed to mention this morning, uh, but been in and out of the hospital and just really had been having a rough go at it lately, is Miss Maria Pete. And uh, she's uh, been in and out three times for three different surgeries. And so um, as of recently is um, uh, late last week. And so she should be going home, I believe, tomorrow. So keep her in our, our prayers as well as others that are not here with sicknesses. All right, Pastor Dave, please come pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for tonight. Thank you that we're able to be here, as we just mentioned to Miss Pete and how she can't. We want us to, number one, thank you for that we're able to. And we pray for Miss Pete and for others who just physically cannot be here. We pray that you be able to help touch their bodies. Pray to God that you bring her home and help touch her body and raise her back up. Met the year she's been very faithful here. We pray, Lord God, that tonight that we would be able to learn from your word, that we'd be able to grow closer and closer to your image. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Praising your name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your hymnals again. Hymn 240-240. Guide me thou, O great Jehovah. We'll sing the entire song. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty, holy with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. Number two. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me Strong Deliverer, strong Deliverer, be Thou still my strength and shield, be Thou still my strength and shield. Number three, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside, bear me through the swelling current, lead me Cadence last night, songs of praises, songs of praises, I will ever give to thee, I will ever give to thee. All right, ushers, you can make your way forward at this time, and uh, we want to uh, greet any guests we have with us this evening, anybody visiting with us? All right, looks like our regulars. Uh, guys, do you have these left over in the back from this morning? Can you grab those and get those ready to go? That would be great. Uh, this this um, evening we'll be looking again out of the book of Haggai, talking about improving the house of the Lord. And uh, I would like everybody that was not in the service this morning, if you would um, uh, raise your hand for me, and the ushers will make their way to you. And so, ushers, if you see a hand up, get to them, give them one of uh, these right here. And so, uh, like every every adult in the church um, that isn't uh, to have one. If you're married, then one per married couple. If you're single, then everybody would need to get one. And so that this can be a personal decision. Right there, behind you, there, brother John. Very good. 
And so I, I don't want you necessarily to fill this out tonight. I want you to take this home and pray over this. Um, listen, I don't know who does the giving around here. You all know that. We do have our money organized and structured. And so if you have loads of cash sitting in the bank, I don't personally know about it. I don't walk around asking people that question. Some pastors would maybe approach this in a sense where they know who the big givers are and they go and say, hey, listen, we need $20,000. What can you give? I I don't think that's a healthy way to do this. Now, if you have lots of money in the bank and God gives moves in your heart to give a large chunk toward our capital improvement fund, I'll just be honest with you. If I had $300,000, I could spend it all quickly improving these facilities. So uh, if God moves in your heart to give a large sum, uh, don't don't turn away from that. Give toward it. But what I'm getting at here is that I think it's a healthier thing if everybody gives sacrificially. Everybody. You say, well, what is sacrificial giving? It's giving beyond, be, of above and beyond the 10% that we've been commanded. If you're not giving the 10% yet, you need to start there uh, before you worry about this. All right. So if you're already giving the 10%, then uh, giving above and beyond that and saying to the Lord, I'm going to make things financially tight in my budget, expecting you to give back in place of that. Now, whatever financially tight means to you, that's between you and the Lord in prayer. And so I want everybody to take this home and pray about it. If you notice, there's no spot on there for a name. We're not interested in knowing how much a certain individual is going to give. Uh, next Sunday, if you would tear off the smaller portion of that and be prepared to turn that in or drop that in the offering plate, we're going to collect those next Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and we'll calculate those and help us get a better idea of how much money is being committed. Maybe you can't give what you'd like to give at once. Maybe, maybe you can payment plan it. And so you give every week or every month, and uh, we're going to we're going to take what's been collected by March 25th and move forward with that for the parking lot and a new sign out front. Uh, but uh, maybe you want to continue to give beyond that. And so mark that and indicate that. And maybe even if you mark monthly, put down through which month you're going to give toward, that would be a big help. But let's do our part in seeing the house of the Lord beautified. We'll talk about that more about that in the service in a few minutes. Bring these back. Be ready to turn them in next week. All right. Let this time let's hear our choir sing.
reports I wanted to um, give to the church. The uh, first one actually comes from in the missions department with Brother Schultz. I got a, I've got an email from him this afternoon, um, Brother Schultz to Zambia, uh, saying, I, he's been texting, emailing for the last several weeks talking about the Colia break, outbreak they have there. Um, this last week he was in Pensacola bringing his two daughters back to Pensacola Christian College for the spring semester. While there he got a phone call saying his wife had fallen and really had injured herself trying to rush her down to the hospital there. Um, so keep, keep his wife in prayer, especially since she was there taking care of their youngest daughter, who had just gone out of surgery. So I wanted to bring that to his attention to help keep them in prayer. Keep them in prayer just for as the, his wife's going, Jill's going through this, Jill Schultz. Um, and also just with the church there. As he talks about the coalition operator that's going so powerfully there, they actually had to get special permission from the government just to meet. They were, they were stopping any assembling together. So they had to really fight just so they could have the church service because the, the outbreak is just so bad there. They had a promise they would not have a handshaking time and that everyone would, um, would come and just instantly go. They wouldn't be allowed just to stay afterwards for fellowship. So keep them in prayer there as they're going through a, a crisis both through their church and through the community when it comes to the health. And then it's at this at home. And he's now flying back a little bit earlier than what he planned to um, from Florida. He's planning to do a couple... Uh, follow-up visits with different churches while he was there, but now he's just flying back to take care of his wife and take care of his daughter, who both of them now are going through it as physically. I also want to give a bus report, just kind of a little bit of a fun thing that happened today. Remember a few weeks a few weeks ago for Christmas, we passed out the photos. I know so many of you have been very diligently praying for those children. Uh, this morning, I got a random text a very random text asking, hey, why don't you stop by our house and pick up the kids today? I was like, okay, great. What house is this? Um, and it was, a, it was one of the towers there in Trumbull Gardens that we haven't been picking anybody out of for, for a long time. And a, a girl came to me, and as she came, she pulled, as we're seeing on the bus talking here, she pulled out a picture of Mrs. Marsh at her work, or her former work now, right? And she goes, well, who is this? And I was like, I, was like, I want to talk to her today. And Miss Marsh had gotten her picture last, had gotten Shai's picture last year, and was praying for her all year long. 
So as we haven't seen this girl in a long time. I, she wasn't living in the tower last we saw her. But as today she came, she said, I want to know who this person was. I was like, well, we know that person's been praying for you for the last year. And when you, as you're praying for these kids, you have no idea the impact it's going to make on life and how much it does mean to them that even months later they're saying, well, well who is this person? And I love being able to tell the kids, like, oh, yeah, I was over at this person's house, and I saw your picture on their refrigerator last week. So they're praying for you. So keep praying for them. You have no idea the impact it's making in their lives. I don't know if you noticed, but our baptismal waters have been stirred quite frequently lately. Um, All of that is due in part to the hard work and effort that goes into our outreach, not only Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., but also on Tuesday evenings. Uh, If I could present the need to you um, for Tuesday evenings, people have been coming out and our numbers have been growing. Uh, I do need help in regard to baking breads. Uh, So if you bake bread, uh, I'd love to put you down on a schedule uh, for once every two months to help bake bread for us. Um, So if you're interested in doing that, uh, you'll be playing a big part in our outreach and seeing people saved at our altar, people being baptized at our uh, baptismal pool just by baking bread. So uh, if you are interested in that, please come see me and uh, have a part in the Great Commission and part of our outreach ministry here. But I thank all of you for all of your hard work for our, our Tuesday evenings and for our Saturday mornings. As you can see, souls are being saved and souls are also being baptized. So thank you so much for that. Several of the families that have been visiting lately have told me how much they enjoy getting that bread. I was talking to Brother um, Scarpetti on the phone earlier this week, and there's a young man named Raphael, 17 years old, junior in high school, who has come with him now twice. And he came last Sunday, Tuesday evening, somebody dropped a bag on his, bread, a bag on his door with the bread in there. And he got in the car Wednesday with Brother Scarpetti, and he's like, hey, I got a loaf of bread. Man, this is awesome. And so uh, he's a little more fired up about it than a lot of others are, but we've gotten a lot of positive comments about that. And so uh, please, if you can uh, make banana bread or or, uh, uh, blueberry bread, whatever, uh, please uh, help us out with that. We'd like to put that in the bag and make that personal to those who visit our church. Brother uh, Owens, uh, or rather Brother Verone here, as some of you know, has um, uh, very close to in the works, uh, just formalities left now in accepting a position down in Georgia. Uh, where he'll be, he and Cindy will be moving. And so I've asked him, uh, if he would, to come and give an update to the church on where they're at with that and kind of a timeline. And I want to say before he comes up how thankful I am for uh, Jay and Cindy Barone. Um, God has knit our hearts together in a special way in my year and a half that we've been here. Uh, Brother Barone, I don't just cherish you as a church member and as the Deacon of the uh, chairman of the deacon board, I cherish you as a friend. Him and I have got to tag team soul in many, many times with people, see many people saved together. As even as of recently as yesterday, the two of us got to go out together and see somebody saved. And uh, it's it's just, uh, I'm excited for them and the future that uh, God has in store. Uh, but honestly, I'm very sad <laughs> to be losing a friend out of the church. Uh, we'll be friends, but it'll be at a greater distance. Anyway, I want Brother Verone to take just a few minutes and uh, update the church, and then he'll lead us in our next song. Brother Verone. And, uh, all right, let's get into a song. Thank you for giving me a few minutes, Pastor, to express my love for the church and for you and let them know a little bit about the plans. All right, let's, uh, let's turn in our hymnals to hymn 149. Yeah, 149. Until then... And uh, let's all stand.
We'll sing the first and the third. My heart can sing when I pause to remember a heartache here is but a stepping stone along a trail that's winding always upward. This troubled world is not my final home, but until then I know I'll go on singing. Until then, with joy I'll carry on, until the day my eyes behold the city, until the day God calls me home. Number three, this weary world, with all its toil and struggle, may take its toll of misery and strife. The soul of man is like a waiting falcon When it's released, it's destined for the skies But until then, I know I'll go on singing Until then, with joy I'll carry on Until the day my eyes behold the city Until the day God calls me home. You can be seated. Ushers, please make your way forward. Uh, For the Valentine's banquet, if you have any allergies uh, and you need a special meal or plate made for you, please let me know tonight so that I can prepare um, the the staff at the Oregonoke Country Club for the uh, special plates. So if any allergies you have, please come see me tonight. I need to know what allergies you have, and, and we'll have a plate set aside for you uh, by the staff. So please come see me tonight. Brother, Brother John Sanchez, could you pray for tonight's offering?
Let's take our hymnals one last time. Turn to hymn 209, please. Till the storm passes by, we'll sing the first and the last. 209. In the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face While the storm howls above me and there's no hiding place Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe Till the storm passes by Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Number three. When the long night has ended and the storms come no more, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Haggai chapter 2 in your Bibles. Haggai chapter 2. i got to tell you, this Through the Bible series has been a um, blessing for me to do on Wednesday evenings. I have preached out of books of the Bible that I have never even heard preached out of before. And getting into the minor prophets there. And that's coming from a boy who spent 30, his first 34 years of his life in church. So it's been, uh, it's been a neat study. Uh, and the book of Haggai is a great book, and God is speaking through His prophet, motivating the people there. Haggai chapter 2, let me encourage you to sign up for a Valentine banquet, get involved with that, get involved in the other things. One of the announcements I want to make before we stand for the reading, the Soul Winners Club is supposed to start this Wednesday. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to push that back a little ways, and so there will be no Soul Winners Club beginning this Wednesday. We encourage you to be in the auditorium. We're not canceling the class. Uh, with uh, Brother Verone's leaving, we want to make sure that we have all our ducks in a row and we do everything decently and in order. Amen? And so could we throw things together and wing it this coming Wednesday? We could, but that's not my style. So I don't like to wing things. We want to make sure that we're, uh, we're set up and ready to go with that. Uh, obviously, this development of Brother Verone uh, taking the job in Georgia has been late-breaking, and so uh, we want to make sure that uh, we're... We're ready to go with that class, and so if you signed up for it, uh, keep in mind we'll be re-announcing that in the next month or two uh, uh, down the road here, the next months to come. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Haggai chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 4 
down through verse 9. The Bible says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of uh, Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the work that I, a word that I covenanted with you, uh, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once uh, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So we're going to finish up the sermon we began last week. The title again is God's House versus Our Houses. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight as we continue on the book of Haggai, and Lord, we revisit a topic we began last week. May we continue to have open hearts and minds so that we understand the Bible May our spirits and our convictions and our character be malleable to your word as the potter with the clay in his hand. And Lord, I, I think back to that so often with my own life, how that um, potter had to settle with the clay and make something less than he originally intended because that clay just would not give in. That clay had maladies in it and stubbornness to it. God, I, I don't want that to be me. And I don't think that anybody here deep down wants that to be them. And so, Lord, where your word touches on areas where we need to improve, may we be quick to cast aside a stubborn heart, a stubborn attitude, and quick to allow you to make us individually into the vessels you want us to be, but corporately into the church that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to be motivated through the preaching tonight, especially because it's from your book. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, let's jump right in here. Let's review last week's message. Brother Matt, I believe the first four points are right there on that first slide. Put those up there for us. Okay, God's house versus our house. The outline last week we started at, uh, we talked about the concerns of God's people. Out of the beginning of the book, God sent Haggai, his preacher, uh, down. And Haggai said in chapter 1 there at the very beginning, Hey, look at your houses are really pretty and my house lies in waste. Your houses have has a roof on it. My house does not. And so what was their concern? Their concern was beautifying their own house, beautifying their own house. And we talked about last week how expensive it is to remodel a kitchen or a bathroom, uh, to give your house a, a makeover. And, and we talked about how that's something that's commonly done amongst even those sitting in this room today. If you own a home uh, and uh, you take out an equity loan to fix up your home or Maybe you save and save and save and save and save, or you get a nice check back around tax time. Some of you probably pay the government some. Others of you maybe get some money back, and you turn around and you uh, invest in your property and making that better. By the way, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm not here putting down the beautifying of your property. I think that you, uh, God has given you a home. It, you, as, if you're going to be a good steward of what God's given you, you are to take care of it. Amen? You take care of it. Um, keeps people like Brother, uh, Brother Ferreira and Brother Vara 
and uh, Brother Greer in business when you beautify your houses. So keep beautifying your houses, amen. But listen, while you need to be concerned with your own homes, you can't ignore, number two, the condition of God's house. You can't ignore that. Um, this piece of property, can I just tell you right now that we don't call this room a sanctuary. I know people who will call church auditorium a sanctuary, and they want to walk in like a, a like it's a monastery, right? Some high-pitched um, voice, oh, going on in their head as they walk in, and and I think there needs to be some reverence shown toward our auditorium. But this is a place where the people gather. The, the, the correlation of the Old Testament temple and the New Testament church, it, it doesn't fit when it comes to the church property. The New Testament temple is you, Christian. You are the New Testament temple. And God dwelled... In the building in the Old Testament, God dwells in the believer in the New Testament. But as we gather together as believers, we have chosen 5344 Main Street, Putney, Stratford, Connecticut, to be where we, as individual temples of God, gather. God gave this property to this body of believers and did it so in a marvelous way. We talked about that last week. And so, while this building does not carry with it the same sacredness that, say, an Old Testament temple did, it is still given to us by God, and we are still to be good stewards of what He has given to us. Oftentimes, you'll see churches that are falling into shambles. Now, our church is not yet falling into shambles, uh, but it could use a pick-me-up in quite a few areas, couldn't it? Um, We talked about, number three, the call to consider. The call to consider. And I asked you to consider our parking lot. It's spidered in many places. The lines are faded. I was, uh, <laughs> I was visiting Maria Pete in the hospital uh, the other night. And she was really giving me a hard time. I mean, she was really giving me a hard time. And I said, settle down, Maria. What's wrong with you? She said, Pastor, I come out after choir practice. And I see the way you park in that parking lot. And you are parked right on top of the line. And I said, that's because I can't see the line. I said, you're going out looking at a faded line that's barely there. (laughs) I said, but if I am on the line, it's because Angela parked there. No. (laughs) I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But uh, um, I asked you to consider our parking lot. Just like the prophet. In fact, you find that word, I believe, six or seven times in the book of Haggai. Consider. 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 It's the most common word uh, that's a, a two-syllable word in the entire book. And I asked you to consider our parking lot. I asked you to consider our sign that is rotting out front. I asked you to consider uh, our flooring and our uh, paint uh, on the walls. I asked you to consider um, beyond that uh, our kitchen. And i got to tell you, um, I have great uh, views of grandeur of improvement beyond that. I would like to see us expand our lobby and turn it from a breezeway into an actual lobby. Have you tried to navigate your way through our lobby on a Sunday morning? It's tough, especially when you all don't understand that it's a hallway, not a, <laughs> not a lobby. And uh, people stand there and converse, and I'm glad you do. But it's tough to navigate through. I would like to either push it back or 
pull it out and raise the ceiling and put some more modern-looking furniture in there. We've got a long ways to go before we get there, folks. I would love to see us grow to a place where the pews in the auditorium on a Sunday morning don't really hold everybody. And you say, well, pastor, what are we going to do? I really want to avoid going back to two services at all costs. And so I believe maybe the next step would be to put nice, padded, comfortable individual chairs in in lieu of the pews. How many of you have found that you take up a lot more space in a pew than you would in a chair? You sit down in a pew and you, you strew out your Bible and your purse and your, uh, your, your coat. And what should take up about 24 inches takes up about 72 inches after you lay all your stuff out, right? And, uh, but when you sit in a chair psychologically, you see the edges of your chair and you know you're confined to that. And at the most, you might take up one more chair of your stuff. But if someone else comes along, you just know, oh, I got to give up that seat. That's, that's an individual chair. And some of you, uh, I was talking to uh, the Okais before church and, and he said, I sit in the fifth pew. Sit in the fifth pew. One, two, three. Yep, that's where you're at. Fifth pew. Don't ever sit in the fifth pew or you're going to have to deal with Jake over here. So He's not the only one. The Segrus sit in the fourth pew. The Salinas sit in the third pew. Do you guys always sit in the same pew back over here? Yep. And so you're locked in. And uh, um, we, uh, we, we're, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Yeah, but um, uh, things like this. Listen, um, I don't want to come across as a greedy preacher. I think you all know I'm not a greedy preacher. I don't want money flowing into the bank account of the church to give myself a raise. I want money flowing into the bank account so that we can beautify the house of the Lord and reach a middle-class neighborhood with middle-class-looking buildings. Number four, we talked about the chastisement of the neglectful. We talked about how that God was, unbeknownst to them, punishing them because they weren't taking care of His house. Remember it said that you're sowing, but you're not really reaping very much. And you're eating and drinking, but you're going to bed hungry and thirsty. And he said there, he said, uh, uh, he talked about how that their, their money bag has holes in it. It's like putting your money in a pant pocket that has holes in the bottom of it. God said, I'm chastising you. We didn't get into this last week and we're not going to uh, dive into it much tonight. But you go on down chapter one a little further. What you find is that he was not just punishing them individually. He was punishing them corporately. The, there was a famine beginning to set in as the fruits and the vegetables are drying up, you'll see there. We're going to move beyond that tonight, and we're going to look at the rest of what God had to say through Haggai to his people. Tonight, I want to propose to each of you that the emotions and positive feelings that come by doing right generally come after we choose to obey. The sentiment of doing right comes after we decide to do what's right. More on that in a minute. The greater the spiritual task is to conquer, the more supernatural and special we will see the hand of God at work. The harder the task, the more monumental the task seems to be, hey, the bigger opportunity God has to step in and do something special. We looked at four of the prophet's observations last week. Let's jump in and look at the rest of the book and consider five more thoughts. Five more thoughts as we consider Again, this topic of God's house versus our houses. All right, number five, number five. Notice the compliance of God's leaders. Look at uh, verse 12 of chapter 1 with me. Uh, Turn back over to chapter 1, look at verse number 12. 
The Bible says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of uh, Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. So, um, let me just say this tonight, that before followers will do what's right, leadership must first choose to do what's right. That makes sense? Before those who follow are going to do right, those who lead must first choose to do what's right. All right. I'm going to ask a question tonight. How many of you would rather follow than lead? Would you raise your hand? You'd rather follow than lead. Just be honest with me. You enjoy following? You don't enjoy? How many of you say, I like being in charge? Let me see your hand. You like being in charge? All right. Um. Now, those of you that like to follow, you got to do what's right for the sake of doing what's right. But can I tell you what makes it easier on you to do what's right? Is if those who are leading you do what's right. You go throughout the Old Testament, and when you find a king that did right in the sight of the Lord, you know what you find? Israel did right in the sight of the Lord. But when the king does evil, the country does evil. You know why? Because people will follow the leader. Now, I'm going to make an uh, obvious statement here, but one maybe you haven't thought of before. When Israel had a righteous leader, not everybody did what was right, but the majority did. And when Israel had an evil leader, such as Ahab, what did God tell uh, Elijah when he was throwing himself a, a pity party? He said, listen, there are thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Just because the majority was doing wrong, not everybody did what was wrong. However, however, if the masses are going to do what's right, the leaders in charge must do what's right. Lee Robertson, the uh, preacher uh, of, of yesteryear, 1950s, 60s, built the largest Sunday school in America during, at one point. He said this, he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. You say, well, I can't lead if they won't follow. Well, then become a better leader. You say, oh, I don't like that. Of course you don't, because you don't want to put in the work. Grow in your leadership ability. Let me ask you the question here. Please, I ask for the crowd to participate. Don't just sit and stare at me. Amen? How many of you here have been commanded by God to lead in at least one role of your life currently, right now? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Your hands down. Some of, the, some of you raise your hand because you've been called to lead at home. Husbands are to lead their wives lovingly with a servant's attitude. Husbands and wives are to lead their children lovingly. Lovingly with an attitude that does not provoke to wrath. Um, children, you might be the oldest or among the oldest and mom and dad may have given you some jurisdiction over some of the younger ones. You've been given that authority by your parents. They get their authority from God. You are to lead with a loving attitude. Some of you have been called to lead at work. You're a supervisor. You are a company owner. You're a boss. Uh, you have been put over a group of people. Uh, that role of leadership is given to you by God. Uh, some of you here lead at church. We have a group of you that I call the leadership team of the church. And people look up to you and they follow you. And possibly someone in the room here tonight, you are a leader in some sort of governmental role. 
Now, it's easy to point the finger at the follower, and maybe the followers aren't following. But are you properly leading? Are you properly leading? Um, Sir, your wife may not get in line with giving toward the beautification of the church until you do. We had Pastor Townsley here last night, and he spoke to the men about Christian manhood. I'm just going to be very uh, honest with you. Um, he had me nervous at the beginning of his message, because some of his, his words were strong. But I have to say amen to everything he said. Amen. We live in a day and age, and I hope, uh, I hope you ladies will be gracious toward me in these comments. But we live in a day and age where men have been feminized and women have been pushed to the forefront and women want to lead and men let them. That's not the Bible's order. It's not the Bible's order. There is a place and time for a woman to lead. God created the woman to complete the man. Support him, follow him. You say, well, that doesn't fit the culture. Maybe not, but it fits the Bible. It fits the Bible. I've met a lot of women who are leading in their home only because their husband won't. And it takes a real man to say, I'm not going to let my wife's emotional state in a moment decide what I do as a leader. You base your decision on principles. Not on what pleases your wife. Oftentimes we joke, happy wife, happy life. And where you can give in and make your wife happy, give in and make your wife happy. But some men are willing to compromise right and wrong in order to maintain, and I put this in scare quotes, peace in the home. It's not real peace. It's, it's a false. It's a farce. It's a lie. We need men who will lead. And your wife might get on board with giving toward beautifying this church, if you put your foot down and said, we're doing it by faith. We're doing it by faith. Your children may fall in love with this church. But they may not fall in love with this church if they don't see mom and dad that they have fallen in love with church. Hey, for some of you here tonight, it's time to quit riding the fence. Get all the way in and be all on board with the church. You need to have an attitude that when the church doors are open and there's a service here that the general public's invited to, man, we're there, we're in, we're excited, we're on board. And I just have to say this tonight is that you don't have to be mean about it, but if you have kids at home, you ought to mandate to them, hey, we are going to church. Lead. Lead. Quit being a noodleback. Get a spine and lead your family. Lead your family. The compliance of God's leaders. Here, Haggai is all by himself on an island. He's saying, hey, your houses are beautiful. Look at the temple. It doesn't even have a roof on it. All on an island, all by himself. And he's preaching the sermon just kind of out in the open. And leadership steps up and says, you know what? You're right. Number six, notice the charisma of God's people. The charisma of God's people. The excitement of God's people. Look down at verse 13. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealiti, uh, that guy, a governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Now, look closely, and you'll see how this works. Letter A, the first guy to get on board was the political leader. Letter A, the political leader. Zerubbabel, if you go over to Luke, we won't do it tonight, but uh, I did it for you earlier this week. You're encouraged to do it later on your own. But Luke, in the book of Luke, you find the lineage of Jesus being traced back through David and then on back through to Adam and on to God. Come uh, this Wednesday night, we'll talk about that in greater detail. But Zerubbabel is mentioned in that list going backwards from Jesus through uh, 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 on back to David. Zerubbabel, uh, funny enough, Zerubbabel was the governor, the political leader of the people. This current uh, structure they were under did not allow them to have their own king again. But if Zerubbabel would have been allowed to be the king, he would have been a king in the line of David. David down through Christ and Zerubbabel is sitting there as the governor of uh, of Jerusalem and he is listening to this uh, sermon from Haggai about you need to take care of God's house and the very first person to sign on was the political leader he said you know what we're right he's right my palace is pretty my governor's home is pretty but the temple lies in waste letter b we see the next next person get on board the spiritual leaders Spiritual leaders. Now, again, you look back at verses 13 and 14. The first person you find getting on board is Zerubbabel. Right behind him comes the priest uh, of that day, uh, Joshua. Joshua. By the way, the name Joshua in the Hebrew is the same name as Jesus in the Greek. We did a study on another Old Testament book, and we talked about how Zechariah, we talked about how that Joshua was an Old Testament picture of Christ in the New Testament and how that God will uh, uh, became our high priest on the cross to atone for our sins. But Joshua is listening to his prophet counterpart preach about uh, how the temple is lying in waste. And he says, uh, you know what? You're right. The political leaders on board count the spiritual leader in two. I'm on board. God has called me to be the pastor of the church and I'm uh, love doing it. It's uh, the joy and honor and privilege of my life to pastor White Oak Baptist Church. Um, Angel and I feel very blessed that God called us here. We look forward to uh, many, many, many years and prayerfully decades together with you all. God, um, God has moved in my heart to see this property improved. Moved strongly in my heart. Letter C, we see the rest of the people. Now, notice the order here. This kind of goes back to point number five, but the leaders got in line, and then the people got in line. People said, okay, we're going to look back at verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. Next it says, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. After the political leader signed on, and after the spiritual leader signed on, the people said, okay, well, if leadership's on board, I'm on board. I, I would venture to guess, just knowing people and knowing that you can please some of the people all the time, and you can please uh, 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 all the people some of the time, but you cannot please all the people all the time. How many of you have been in leadership roles and you've learned that along the way? You just can't be done. 
Um, I got to guess there was probably some lazy scorner on the side that said, I don't have any money. I'm too busy to go help out at the church or at the temple. But the rest of the people said, hey, you know what? You sit over there and pinch your pennies and, 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 and be selfish with your time. We're going to go beautify the house of the Lord. We're going to go do our part. Look at how this works. The obedience comes before the emotion. You see that? The obedience comes before the emotion. I'll tell you a little secret about Pastor Lejeune. Every Tuesday night and every Saturday morning, I show up to the church. As long as I don't have a, another obligation. Probably 52 weeks, probably 49 of them. I'm here on a Tuesday night, 49 of them here on a Saturday morning. And uh, I show up at our little meeting at 6.30 on Tuesday nights, uh, 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings. And from there, I go out soul winning or visiting. I'll tell you a little secret about me. Probably about half the time, my flesh does not want to show up. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I'm tired. You say, well, why? All you do is play golf all day, right? That's what pastors do. I mean, they take 20 minutes to write their sermons, and they just sit around and twiddle their thumbs all day. I think you guys know that's not true. Um, I'm tired. I want to spend time with my family. But I show up anyway. You know why? Because I've been commanded by God to give out the gospel. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a commission. While I may not want to always be there at 6.30 on Tuesdays and 10 o'clock on Saturdays, I can't think of a single Tuesday or Saturday that I finished and, and was regretful that I had done it. There is always an emotion of satisfaction. Yesterday morning, we woke up and we were getting ready to go to the church for soul winning, uh, bus, bus visitation, bus meeting. And uh, it was one of those mornings where my flesh wanted to just crawl back under the sheets. It been a long week. I was tired. Uh, uh, Sunday's coming, right? And, and uh, that's not really an option, but that doesn't mean my flesh doesn't want it and doesn't call for it. So I got up, got showered, got dressed, got in the car, came to church, went out with Brother Verone. Very first door we knocked on, a lady by the name of Maria. Seventh-day Adventist, came to the door, gave a workspace dancer. Brother Verone got to lead her to the Lord. Can I tell you something? When I got back to the church Saturday... I was really glad I didn't call, call, crawl back under the sheets. You know what obedience is? It's saying, God, I'm going to do what's right out of character. I'm going to show up to church on Sunday night, even when I wake up groggy from my nap Sunday afternoon. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run home and shuffle some food down my throat on a Wednesday and rush to the church uh, with maybe uh, some oil under my fingernails or some grit under my fingernails from a long day at work or uh, uh, a frazzled brain from all the running around at work because God has said not to forsake the assembling together. Now, you all understand these principles when it comes to that, but how about with your pocketbook? Can I tell you that people don't like preachers preaching on money because they're in love with their money. They're in love with it. Preacher, you can talk about my time. Preacher, you can talk about my commitment. But stay out of my finances. And by and large, I do. By and large, I do. But my friend, if you love your money, you love seeing a number in a bank account 
more than you love the work of God and, 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 and obeying Him, then your priorities are out of order. Notice what happened here. After the people obeyed, the Bible says that the Spirit, God moved the Spirit. He, he encouraged the Spirit of the remnant. So, how does this work? We obey first, and then we have that sentiment of satiation. Number seven, we see the command to work. Command to work. Look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says there, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, of, of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the Lord, saith the Lord. Here comes the next two words. And work. Can we say those three words out loud enthusiastically together? Ready? And work. And work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I've been kind of picking on the culture this evening. I'm going to pick on a little bit more. Part of the problem with our society today is that nobody really knows how to work. People don't know how to work. We, we clock watch. Oh, when's quitting time coming? Curtis Hudson once said, he said, uh, he who looks for quitting time and payday will never get ahead in life. Some of you ought to write that down. He who looks for quitting time and payday will never get ahead in life. God, God made you to work. You say, well, you no, know, He made men to work. No, He made all of us to work. You know what He did with Adam and Eve? He created them. He put them in the Garden of Eden. You know what he told them? And this is prior to sin. You know what he told them? Get to work. Take care of my garden. Um, most people treat work like a dirty word. They'd rather loaf than work. They'd rather play than work. They'd rather sleep than work. They'd rather eat than work. They'd rather sit around and be entertained than work. But God made Adam in a perfect state and put him out there to work. Work came prior to sin. And guess what? I hate to break this to you, especially all you lazy people in the auditorium. Work will be around after God cures us from sin. You know what we're going to do in heaven? We're going to work. This idea of you sitting on a cloud with a harp, that's, uh, that comes from Looney Tunes, and it's pretty loony. Um, this idea that we'll just be swimming in the river of life and racing each other down the, the golden streets and shoving our faces with food and yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty shallow fleshly idea of heaven. Now listen, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. There's the tree of life. There's the river of life. There's a street of gold. Revelation tells us we'll enjoy all those things, but it isn't going to be an eternity of being lazy. It's going to be eternity of work. And I feel like for some of us when we get to heaven, God's going to have to break down our work ethic and reteach us how to work. By the way, laziness isn't just sitting around doing nothing. Hear what I'm about to say here. This is really, really important. Laziness goes beyond that. That's the lowest base level of laziness. But there is a laziness bug that I believe bites a lot of us in here today. And even at times bites me. Here it is. Laziness is 
not doing the most important thing and settling for doing something that is less important. you got two items at work that are pressing. One of them you enjoy, the other one you don't. The one you don't needs to get done first, but you settle and do the one you enjoy. You know what that is? It's laziness. Laziness. And it's easy, it's lazy for us to look at the parking lot that's broken and look at the facilities that uh, need to get uh, tweaked and fixed. And, and you know you know how it is at your house, right? You have that corner of that wall that you've been meeting to finish up for, you know, like 10 years, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's fine. You know what I'm talking about? You just, you get used to it, then you just forget it's even up there. And we see this church as, well, you know, the walls are mauve or pink or whatever color they are, but, yeah, whatever, who cares? You get used to it, but put yourself as a visitor walking in our church. Going, whoa, this place is stuck in the 90s. We need to work. We need to work. Um, we're going to be scheduling some work days coming up here at the church. Brother Vara came to me last night after the sermon, and he said, Pastor, I volunteer to be your um, project manager over the next several projects. And uh, he's worried about getting people in here doing things they're not qualified to do. And I appreciate that. I greatly appreciate that. There is a lot of grunt work that you don't need a whole lot of intelligence and skill to do, and we're going to need your help. The, the encouragement here at this point is that when we schedule a work day, show up. Do what you can to show up. And if you can't make one, then uh, come to another one and do everything you can to be here. Number, uh, what is this? Number eight. Number eight, we see the commitment of God's assistance. The commitment of God's assistance. Many people claim they are just going to sit back and watch God do something great. God is waiting for you to get busy. And then he steps in and, and then he does something beyond uh, our wildest imagination. All right. Uh, I want you to picture with me that you're one of the Israelites. And you're sitting in Egypt, and you're moaning and groaning about slavery. Oh, I'm tired of these taskmasters cracking this whip over my back. I'm tired of the hot desert sun. I'm tired of making bricks and building pyramids. And I I want my freedom. And Moses comes along and says, okay, folks, I'm here to lead you out and uh, follow me and we'll go. And you're going, but the direction you're going to take us is to that Red Sea. And I don't really see how we're going to get through there. You know what? I think I'm going to stay here. Do you know that God was not going to part the Red Sea until they got up and they followed Moses out over to the Red Sea and parked it there? Furthermore, God wasn't going to part the Red Sea until Moses lifted up that reed over the sea and trusted God that while he might end up looking like a fool, God was going to do something great. And when Moses did his part and the Israelites did their part, then God stepped in and did his part. You say, Pastor, I've just got 200 bucks that I can throw at this parking lot project. And you know what? I could use that 200 bucks for something else and someone else will step in and fill in the gap. That very well probably will happen, but can I tell you is that you'll miss out on a great blessing. God is not going to do His part to make up the difference until we step up and we do our part. God has a way of stepping in and doing great things when He sees that His people are exerting great effort. What kind of help does he give us? Well, letter A, we see he gives us power. He gives us his power. Look down at verse 6 of Haggai chapter 2. For thus saith the word of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, wow, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And God said, I'm going to shake 
the heavens. I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to do something that is marvelous. When the people complied, God performed a miracle, didn't He? Moses lifted up that reed, the water split, and they walked through. They walked through. Listen, I want God's power on my life, just like you want God's power in your life. We want God's power all over this church. We want to know that uh, when we pass out a gospel track or we share the good news of Jesus with others around us, when we're going about the community and we're trying to be a witness for our Savior, we want to know that's making an impact. That's not going to make an impact if you're not doing your part. God's power follows our obedience. You do your part and God supernaturally makes up the rest. Letter B, we see that God uh, assists us. God comes along and helps us through the giving of His presence. Look down to verse 7 of Haggai 2. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith Lord of hosts. Can I tell you that God fulfilled that promise twice? First of all, we know that when Saul, or rather, uh, when they finished the temple, that God came and He dwelt in that temple. But God the Father wasn't the only one to dwell in the temple, was He? That temple. Jesus. Jesus would walk into the very temple that He was commanding them to, to, to finish. All right, if you're saved tonight, then you have Jesus in your heart. The church was founded by Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of White Oak Baptist Church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the chief pastor. He's the good shepherd. And I'm the under-shepherd. And uh, you all are, are here to fulfill your part in the body of Christ, to do the work of Christ. And we want the presence of God coming here and doing its part to move in a great way. And my friend, practically speaking, every time we gather together on this piece of property, we do so understanding that Jesus Christ, He's here with us. I believe that we should provide our best to our Savior. A very simple, practical illustration, but if somehow we were all convinced that Jesus Christ was going to leave heaven, robe Himself in flesh, and visit our church in January 2019, He was going to preach from this pulpit, rather from this place. I think we'd be a little more motivated to fix up the facilities, right? We don't see Jesus in the, in the flesh, but He's here every week. He's here every week. His presence. I know I want God to do something great through our church. I believe God is beginning to do something great in our church. Letter C, we see that He gives us His peace. Look at verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace. I'm so thankful that those of you that have attended here for years, you don't know what a church fight looks like. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I think back to churches that I'm familiar with. Some of them that I know very well. Some of those churches are going through massive church fights right now. Breaks my heart. You know, that can happen here too. That can happen here too. We get away from doing our part. The presence of God begins to leave. And that's when human beings act at their worst. 
Number nine, quickly here, we see the corruption that describes us. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. And by the way, I'm letting the text dictate the outline tonight. And so this might seem like a weird left turn, but this is a turn that the, the Scripture has given us. And so to God, if it's important to Him, it ought to be important to us. Look at verse 10 in the, uh, chapter 2. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and... Uh, with his skirt uh, do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. God's setting them up here. Verse 13. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then, then answered Haggai and said, So this people, so is the nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands. And that... Uh, which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, uh, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat uh, uh, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blastings with mildew and with hail, in all the laborers of your hands, yet ye turned it not to me, saith the Lord. Here God is saying through Haggai, He's saying, listen, you're out there and you're beautifying the house of the Lord and you're doing your part and you have your laws that would label you clean or unclean. And you think to yourself that if you're abiding by a certain set of, uh, of customary laws that you're clean and somehow worthy to be taking care of my house. And God steps back and says, no, my friend, you're all unclean because you have sin. You have sin. And that I would say this is that if we're not careful as Christians, we seem to think that because we live our life a certain way and we do things through a certain method and uh, we, we're more cleaned up than maybe someone of the world, that somehow we're a little more worthy to participate in the work of the Lord. And I'm just here to tell you tonight that that's not how it works. Listen, I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace. Anything He wants to do through me, praise the Lord. Because God, I'm corrupt. And I'm unworthy. Except for the fact that Your grace has made me worthy. Number ten, and lastly, we see the completion of the book. Letter A, notice a completed temple or church. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. And I hasten, come now from this day and upward, even the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day will I bless you. And God was saying to them here, hey, listen, you need to give and bring and provide so that the finances will be there so that my temple can be completed. Those people brought of what they had. Some of them had money, most of them did not. But they had other things they could bring that could be sold so that money uh, that could be turned into money to build the temple and to complete God's house. Letter B, we see a completed kingdom. A completed kingdom. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, And again the word of the Lord came unto 
Haggai in, in the fourth and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heaven and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy. And again, while I read this, I want you to think in terms of the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus comes and rules on earth for a thousand years. And I will overthrow the, uh, the throne of kingdoms, verse 22, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heaven, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, uh, saith the Lord, and, and, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. We know that uh, this completed temple would lead to the Christian becoming the living temple and that the church, organism of the church, would stay in place until Jesus comes back and raptures or carries away his church. And then after a seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come down. He's going to sit in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign against all the nations. And he will rectify all the wrongs. He will uh, set in order those things which are out of order. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And uh, there will be uh, a healed planet ran by our God. You know what our role is until that day? To keep giving the gospel, to keep running this church, and to keep piping out a product that pleases our God and is attractive and appealing to our community. How about it tonight, Christian? Will you commit to do your part? Some of you say, Pastor, really, I don't have two dimes to rub together. Okay. All right, will you show up for a work day? Will you do your part? Some of you can both give and work. Mrs. Lejeune and I are going to pray very hard about what God will have us do in giving. We're going to give by faith, and I challenge you to do the same. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. This is a tough topic to preach. I've got to be honest. This is not my favorite type of sermon to, to share, to give. But I sure am glad I've got a book that's holy and perfect. And I can stand where it stands, and I can proclaim a tough message. Christian, the message doesn't have to be tough. If you'll open your heart and you'll turn over your pocketbook to the Lord. He's promised that He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. You've got to be willing to be faithful to Him and obedient to Him. Are you living a life with holes in the bag of your purse because you're not giving to God what He's commanded you to give? Are you living a life that uh, is, uh, is short of God's power, His, His presence and His peace? Because you're trying to do it your way and not His. My prayer tonight is that you'll carefully evaluate love of money that may sit in your heart and you'll confess that sin to God and you'll ask Him to give you to give you an understanding heart that money is a tool in which we live our lives and then we serve the Lord. Please Him with it. Lord, I pray tonight you'd impress this on our hearts. May we not be materialistic, money-loving people. Lord, may we see the finances that you've provided to all of us as a means. One, to provide for our own needs, and two, to take care of your house. Lord, I pray that tonight you would break a heart of stone, or that you would peel away the callous of a hardened heart. God, you would help us to do our part. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Piano plays. The altar's open. How about it tonight, Christian? How about it, men? You going to lead? You going to be in charge of your family? I don't mean lead like a tyrannical dictator. I mean lead like a servant. That servant leadership we talked about on Wednesday night of the book of Mark. 
Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray you'd impress it on our hearts and help us to carry it with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, can we sing the chorus to I Love You, Lord, before we leave? I don't know if uh, we'll probably just do that a cappella unless you have it. You know where it is. All right, let's sing it together. Here we go. Lift up your voices. Ready? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Let's go forth and love the Lord this week. Let's love them individually, let's love them as families, and let's love them corporately as a church. It's a joy and honor to be your pastor. I love each and every one of you very much. Hope you have a good week this week. God bless you. You're dismissed.